The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome to the keynote by CNBC Events. On this podcast, we bring you in-depth conversations with CEOs, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders conducted in front of live audiences around the country. I'm Karen Stern, a producer on the CNBC Events team, and today we bring you a conversation with Walmart CEO Doug McMillan. He joined us at our Evolve conference in Los Angeles in November, where he was interviewed on stage by my colleague, Becky Quick. And Becky joins me here in the studio today. Hey, Becky. Hey, Karen. It's great to see you. So, Becky, our Evolve conference really focuses on companies that are successfully adapting their business models in the face of changing technology, demographics, and disruptors. So listeners might be wondering why we're speaking to Doug McMillan, CEO of the ultimate big box retailer, in this context. I mean, Walmart's had essentially the same business model for as long as I can remember. It's a giant store, they sell everything, and they have really low prices. You know, you have to remember, retail is going through such an upheaval right now. There are so many changes that are taking place. People are changing the way that they buy things. You can thank Amazon for that. It's kind of upended the entire business model. But the only way that a few retailers are really standing out and competing against Amazon is by completely evolving, completely changing. And Doug McMillan has changed Walmart and changed it so that it can compete in this new evolution. I I mean, he has been amazing in terms of coming after this. There's only a few retailers. When you talk about who's doing it right, it's Walmart, it's Target, it's Amazon. And and maybe you pick up a few others beyond that, maybe a Costco or something like that. But you can look at the carnage in the retail industry right now and realize that not only is this a fast-changing industry, it's faster changing than it's ever been before. And only the, the fastest, the quickest to pick up change are the ones who are going to stand out on top. Doug's been amazing because he has taken kind of this retail giant where you wouldn't expect things to be able to move quickly and he has fine-tuned it for this battle. I mean, changed on so many different levels. He, he went about and I think the first kind of rough ride he had with Wall Street was a few years ago when Doug came out before any of the other retailers and said that he was going to start paying his employees more. He's somebody who had started um, as a summer a summer job working there where he was doing everything from like loading the trucks and seeing what was happening on the ground floor. He rose all the way to CEO. So he understands what happens in the stores and why it's so important for the employees to be happy because they in turn make your customers happy. So when he first became CEO, he went on this listening tour. He tried to figure out what was going on and then he came in and implemented these changes. He came on Squawk Box at that point and said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to be investing in our stores and we're going to be investing in our people because that's what we need to do. We're going to be raising the minimum wage for what we pay people. We're going to be offering additional benefits. We're going to be spending more money just to clean the stores up and get better things and, and make sure it's a better experience for the customers. That sounded great. Um, but then he went and told Wall Street later that day how much it was going to cost. Yeah. And Wall Street sold the stock off. It was a huge issue. Um, 
Doug said it was kind of a, a harrowing moment in his life to watch that happen, watch the stock price collapse on, on on that one day when he came and told Wall Street these changes. Now, he had the fortitude to stick with it. He had the backing of the board, the backing of the family, the Walton family. And as a result, he is one of the few retailers who are really truly competing today. Not only did he invest in the stores, but he really invested in online, making sure that they can do all kinds of fulfillment in their stores, building out their shipping capabilities reaching out to people. He's made acquisitions along the way to bring this in and make more of its dot-com offerings really up to snuff and make sure that they are a retailer for you know this century. And he's done things that he had to have such foresight. It's, it, it's a crazy new world. Right. And since McMillan's been at the helm, Walmart has seen same-store sales growth every quarter. That's really astounding. So let's get to your interview and hear how he did it. McMillan sat down with me in the live audience at CNBC's Evolve Conference in Los Angeles in November. Here's our conversation. Doug, thank you for being here to kick off Evolve. We really appreciate it. Sure. You came in to take over as CEO in 2014. It was already the world's largest retailer and employs more people than anybody but the U.S. government and China's Red Army. So you looked at this huge success story and you said, okay, how do we shake things up? Why? Well, first of all, the story's not over yet, um, and whatever has happened has been a team effort, obviously. But you know, when we started on this effort to change the company a few years ago, we really kind of stepped back and started from scratch. And culturally, the company embraces that. Um, our associates embrace that because it goes all the way back to our founder. Um, Sam Walton passed away in 1992, but if you were working with us today in stores in the home office, you would kind of feel like he's still around. Not in a creepy way, like in a good way. <laughs> Um, um, but he had this way of changing things. And so we kind of started together as a leadership team and said, what needs to be constant? Because when you're going through a period of change, it's helpful to know as a human being what's not changing. What are my anchors? And we have a great purpose that we got from him, and we have a strong set of values that we believe are timeless. And we then turned to the organization and said, other than our purpose and values, everything else is open to change. If the customer doesn't want stores, we won't have stores. If the customer wants them, we'll figure out how to make them better so that we serve them in the way they want to be served. And that created this opportunity to to refresh and, and rethink everything. The super centers in the U.S. are really important to us, and any plan for Walmart has to start with them. But we then laid out kind of a sequential plan to say, we're going to do these things first, and here's why. Then we'll move to this area. Then we'll move to this area. And that's what's happened over the last few years. You've seen us work through International and Sam's Club and make changes. And I didn't understand when we initiated it just how much of a digital transformation was needed. And that journey is still underway. But there, there are multiple change efforts happening being led by lots of associates in the company. But we're kind of all in it together, which gives you a shot at, at getting through to the next generation of retail. And as you and I have talked about before, um, retailers come and go. Yeah. History is very clear. So your only choice is to adapt and change or perish. And we kind of like, would like to avoid that. That's a good idea as the CEO of a retailer. Um, you, you just said something that kind of had me thinking. You said if, if the customer doesn't want stores, we're not going to have them. You've got 11,300 stores around the world. You really think that? The future could yeah, that's be one without stores? That's where we started. And I can tell you that now... Um, as I sit here today, I'm really confident they want stores because we're seeing the evidence of that. But a few years ago, um, there were a lot of voices inside the company questioning everything. And so we didn't go into it saying our purpose in life is to prove that stores are part of the future. We didn't. We started with how do customers want to be served? 
And it turns out that the stores end up playing a really important role in that process, especially with fresh and perishable food and things you buy in big baskets all the time. And so that's played to our advantage. And now we can leverage that. So we've got, if I just focus on the U.S., we operate in 27 countries today, but the U.S. is our biggest and most important business. If I just focus on that, we now have these relatively large um, physical stores close to people within 10, mil, 10 miles of 90% of America, uh, five miles of 70% of America that have a great assortment of fresh and perishable food consumables and general merchandise that you buy frequently that we can now build on and, and put other things into. Like we just opened our first um, Walmart Health Clinic in Georgia, mm -hmm. and that takes that took additional square footage because we didn't we needed all the space we currently had for other things in the store, and now those become these nodes in the distribution channel um, in addition to being stores where people continue to shop. You know, just talking about the evolution of Walmart, um, you guys have done things that seem like they are absolutely common sense right now that would not have seemed like that 10, 20, 30 years ago. What happened just with the push to get into groceries? Was that something that the stores pushed back at that point? Um, the whole world kind of pushed back. I think, you know, Sam was still alive when we initially started. And um, he, David Glass, and some other people in the company, David was our CEO that followed Sam Walton and is one of the uh, heroes in business that's not very appreciated in my view given what he did but at that point in time in the early late 80s early 90s they started with these European hypermarkets and those were too big and we failed miserably with them but they then pivoted to these super centers and opened the first one in Washington Missouri in 1988 with food fast forward a few years like maybe 92 I think it was Forbes wrote a, st a story about has Walmart lost its magic mm -hmm. And I keep it in my office. I got a hard copy of this magazine from the early 90s where it basically says Walmart's dead. Uh, these decisions to get into the grocery business and to do self-distribution in grocery, to put the capital in to build grocery distribution behind these stores is crazy. And at the same time, they were expanding internationally. They went to Mexico. And Sam's Club had just been born in 1983. So the story was taken on too much, lost their way. Um, Sam's gone. They're never going to make it. And if you look at all the metrics, um, it actually picked up under David's leadership for a long time. Well, people thought you were crazy for getting into groceries because it's such a low-margin business. Right. 3% versus the big margins you can get for general merchandise in other areas. Why did it pay off? Why does it work? Customers. You know, they, they want to save time and, and they want to save money. And, and the broad assortment, when you put food next to GM, you, general merchandise, you ended up picking up an even bigger basket. And they designed the super center with pharmacy and food service and all these components that just made it a great place to shop. You could get good value. You could get quality merchandise. It was in stock. People were friendly. Um, and you had that breadth of assortment. And so now we've got that foundation to, to build on. And very few of our competitors have any kind of grocery capability like we do, and and you know we are one of the few that operate all these multi-formats. We've got Sam's Club, we've got the international business, so we have a diversified portfolio that's that's stronger because it's diversified. Was it gratifying to you to see Amazon get into the grocery business when they bought Whole Foods? Oh, I don't know if that's the right word. <laughs> it's, you know, it's an interesting situation we could see when you when you look at where this is headed if you study um, Alibaba in China or the flip cart business that we bought in India or what's happening here in the US with Amazon with Walmart and some others there's a bit of a mutually reinforcing ecosystem that's being built and part of that includes fresh and perishable food and the good news for us is it's really hard yeah. and doing um, food 
especially fresh, in an environment where you don't have store traffic is really hard because if you don't sell that fresh product, it's got to be thrown away, mm -hmm. which is obviously wasteful and also expensive. Mm -hmm. And so now we've got this situation where these super centers can be leveraged with a flow. Again, self-distribution, built the warehouses, have the low cost, have the re reliability of supply, have experienced um, buyers that work back. I was traveling with one of our buyers last week who was just in Central America working on bananas. And so we know all the way back through the supply chain what's happening managing that, getting it to a store, and now the store becomes a pickup point in addition to being a place you can shop, and grocery pickup has really expanded. And now that you can pick in the store efficiently, which we're learning how to do better and better all the time, you can then do delivery. So we now have grocery delivery around the U.S. and 1,400 locations. I don't think we've earned your business yet where you live. But you don't have a Walmart we'll be working on, I'm going to deliver I've been you. waiting. We will figure this out. <laughs> Got to figure this out because I can't have you on TV talking about shopping anywhere else. But... <laughs> Anyway, you, you go to grocery delivery, and then eventually we go all the way to just keeping you in stock in your home. And last week, I was in Kansas City on Monday. It was really cold and snowing, but I went with one of our associates to deliver groceries and order all the way into a home. And so we've got a device, a, a camera that live this is streams so the event. <laughs> no, it's great. It's You're going to so do creepy. it. You, you somehow explain you, to everybody what this is. All right. Like, so a Walmart associate, you place an order on your app and you choose Walmart in home and you pay a membership fee and, and we just start putting your goods away in, in the refrigerator for you. And eventually we're gonna- In my home at this point? Uh-huh, or, or your or garage. Some people are buying refrigerators to put in the garage and yeah. a lot of homes in the US already have refrigerators. Yeah. Our number one issue so far, by the way, is dogs. <laughs> like the customer will tell us I have no dogs and you get there and there's a dog. And I was talking about 12 associates last week, and one of them said, yeah, this dude always runs into the dogs. And he's like, yeah, I'm a dog guy. And some of them are scary. <laughs> um, but anyway, we delivered this order into the refrigerator and then left the ambient product that didn't need refrigeration on the counter. And we have not had one single customer try it that doesn't keep it. And we're in Pittsburgh, Kansas City, Vero Beach, Florida now. And I really think there will be a moment in time where you think of Walmart just as a service. Like you'll, the average household may have about 100 items between cleaning supplies, paper goods, fresh and perishable food that you just buy all the time. And we'll just manage that for you. And any exploration you want to do, discovery you want to do on other items, you'll do. But we'll just take care of those others for you. You know, I can understand that if you have the same person who is coming to my house every time and I get to know them. Yeah. I don't understand it if you use, let's say, the Amazon model where there's somebody different showing up at my house every time I order a package. Yeah, you know, that's a great point. And our customers are asking, can I narrow this down to one or two people? Mm -hmm. At scale, we may be able to get it down to where it's one, two, three people. But we show you on the app, like there would be a profile, um, Becky, and here's who she is, maybe a thumbnail. Like one of them I saw was like, Becky likes tacos. She has a dog, and she's a parent. Oh, she's a mom of three. Now you really know. And way she's too been much. an associate. The, the associate. She's been an associate for more than two years. She's mm -hmm. been vetted, and you'll either get but, Becky or you'll get Doug. But it's going to be an employee that you know. And it's a Walmart therefore associate. I will get to know them. Walmart associate, minimum two years experience with the company, background check done, etc. Still ahead on the keynote, the decision that lost twenty-one billion dollars in market cap in a single day. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. 
Welcome back to the keynote by CNBC Events. I'm Becky Quick. You're listening to Walmart President and CEO Doug McMillan on stage at our Evolve conference in Los Angeles. Digitally, you have upended the world. People are watching every move you make. It started, I think, in earnest when you acquired Jet.com back in 2016 and took Mark Laurie and put him in charge of your e-commerce operations. Um, what did you learn along the way? And I, I think oftentimes people learn the most from the mistakes. Um, what did you learn along the way as you've been putting this very rapidly into place? Yeah, there have been plenty of, plenty of mistakes made, and it's choppy underneath the surface. And we, we were just starting to go back to the time period where we were thinking about buying Jet. We had just started online grocery. We had a grocery delivery business in the UK that we were learning from. We'd taken a system and, and things and put it in California, and it was very nascent. And our GM business really wasn't growing as much as we needed it to grow, and we were building out a software platform. We were putting fulfillment centers in place. We were playing catch-up, trying to get there. And when we met Mark and the team and saw how they think about the future of e-commerce, the first time Mark and I met, we were on the whiteboard talking about how these pieces could connect and how the thing would work. We saw a chance to take a risk and try to jumpstart it. And it hasn't worked out exactly like we thought it was going to work out, but it did cause us to accelerate. And some of the expertise and knowledge, the things that the team brought with us have now been applied to the, the overall Walmart approach. And the Walmart brand is so much stronger. Like the, an investment to grow Jet is expensive relative to an investment to grow Walmart because Walmart's brand is so well-known. Right. And so we took a lot of our resources and we just put them against Walmart.com. We've had the most success with food. We've got, we just released earnings recently, and I called out there. We still have a long way to go with general merchandise. Our assortment needs to get bigger. Our service needs to get better. We're all working on that. But over the last few years, Greg, Greg Foran, who was leading Walmart U.S. and is now going to run Air New Zealand, yeah. did a fantastic job of getting the stores in a really good place foundationally. We invested, you'll remember, in wages and training and education. And, and then we built this grocery pickup and delivery business under Greg's leadership. And now put that with a larger general, merch, general merchandise e-commerce business that we're trying to build, including a marketplace and other services related to that, you start to fill out that chessboard that I was describing earlier that is that ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And we could kind of see ahead because we could see what was happening in China. We could see what was happening in the U.K., so if you look at our strategy, it's part history of Walmart U.S. and what we knew about it, part U.K., part Chinese. Part of the history of what you learned in the U.S. stores was that if you put groceries in, you will bring customers in and they will buy lots of other stuff. Right. What happens when you are saying, okay, we'll deliver groceries directly to you or you can pull up in the store parking lot and we'll have fulfilled it in the store and hand it to you? They're not coming in. How do you capture their other purchases. Impulse is still possible, and the basket size for grocery pickup and delivery is much bigger than the basket size in the store, mm -hmm. and our store traffic is still up. So at the same time that we're building pickup and delivery and this overall e-commerce business, store traffic is continuing to grow. And I imagine this day when we're in your house and we're going to deliver your order for you, and on the table we're going to leave, based on the data we have about you, we're going to leave some items that, that you may like. And if you like them, keep them. And if you don't, put them in a certain place. We'll take them back the next time. We'll handle your returns. I think we'll get there. That's a pretty good idea. Um, Are you sold yet? Almost, as long as I can really get to know these people first. Because I, I do let cleaning people into my house. I do let things like that happen. But it's only because I know them and I've gotten to know them over time. And then I feel comfortable with it. Um, let's back up a little bit and, and just talk about your own history with Walmart. You are only the fourth CEO to lead the company since the founder, Sam Walton. And um, 
you started working there when you were a teenager in the summers. At that point, did you ever mention that one day you would eventually be in Sam Walton's wood-paneled office running no. things? No. My dad was a dentist, and he moved to Bentonville, uh, moved us to Bentonville when I was 16 and said, get a job because you're going to need money for college. And um, Walmart, warehouse number two, paid six fifty an hour, and McDonald's and others paid less than four. <laughs> so I applied for a job at a Walmart warehouse and just got exposure to the culture. I was unloading trailers in the summertime in Arkansas with people that were fired up about working for this company. And I got to hear about Sam Walton and living in that small town, got to be around him a few times. And then when I joined the company, got to watch him lead Saturday morning meetings for a little while and just fell in love with the whole thing, like the purpose, the culture. I liked the people we were working with. It was super hard. Trying to figure out what you guys are going to buy next is a huge challenge. And when you have to buy it in large quantities, it's even riskier, and that's so fun. So most of my career was buying and selling merchandise. Like they, I ran ladies' wear, believe it or not, for a little <laughs> while. But bought ladies. They, they told me to buy ladies' woven tops, and I went home to ask my wife what a woven was because I didn't know. <laughs> Because I've been buying food, and, and then I got to do all kinds of stuff, toys and electronics, and it's just been a blast. Okay, so you're there, and I, I didn't realize six fifty an hour was why you started there, but that takes us to 2015, when you came out with this huge announcement that you were going to overhaul uh, what Walmart was paying its employees. It was going to boost wages, it was going to boost benefits, it was going to reinvest in the stores, and it sounded like a great plan until you got to Wall Street and told them how much it would cost. Um, Wall Street reacted badly, did not like what it was hearing. I think we lost $21 billion in market cap in the day. Did that make you nervous? Yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> yes. Rational person. So I think I can understand how you got to that decision based on your own experience going through the stores. Yeah. How did you decide to stick with it after losing $21 billion in market cap in a day? Well, we knew it would work. We were really confident that it would work, and we just knew it would be a matter of time. So back to the strategy. If you don't have a healthy U.S. supercenter business in Walmart, you don't have much. And I had been in International for five years and Sam's Club for six years before that. And so when I moved into this job, I started traveling the U.S. stores unannounced and asking people what was going on. Mm-hmm. And they'll tell you. And so, you know, you take a, enough notes on a yellow pad from enough store visits and all of a sudden a plan emerges. And um, we, the management team, went back to the board and said, um, we think that we need to get wages up and we think we need to do it soon and, and aggressively. And the board um, really pushed us to be even more aggressive and to do it very quickly and, and go harder and go bigger. And so we did. And so I knew that we had support to go do it. And I knew that if you could put enough of these pieces together, we needed to protect store hours. Like retail, people talk a lot about starting wage rate. Starting wage rate is just one variable in a system. Do I get the hours that I'm supposed to get? Do I have a promotional opportunity? Do I get good health care? Do I get a bonus? Do I get a 401k match? Do I get parental leave that I want? So we just laid out a plan and said, okay, we're going to start with starting wages, but we've also got to address some of these other things, including putting more people into the store to staff departments. We, we'd taken away more people than we should have taken away. So we had this kind of sequential plan that was expensive, but we knew if we did that, the stores would look good, and then we were going to start lowering prices. We, had, we kept telling each other, clean your house up before you invite people over. <laughs> so step one was kind of clean up the house, and step two was lower prices and tell customers to come look. And they're rational. You know, a good store that's clean with friendly people and low prices works. And once that wheel starts moving, then you can go do other things, including address e-commerce more aggressively. And then Sam's International, as I described earlier. 
Still ahead on the keynote, the list that Walmart CEO Doug McMillan keeps with him everywhere he goes. We'll be right back. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Welcome back to the keynote by CNBC Events. I'm Becky Quick. You're listening to Walmart President and CEO Doug McMillan on stage at our Evolve conference in Los Angeles. I think it's 21 quarters in a row now that you've seen same-store sales growth. So what's the next step? How do you continue that trajectory? Yeah, we've got to keep it going. I mean, this, this story is far from being completely written, and we're learning every day. And one of the things that I really like about the team that I work with now and these Walmart associates is that they're figuring out how to solve problems big and small all the time. The, the opportunity to use AI, the opportunity to use automation, all kinds of, of tech to make these jobs better and easier and improve the store experiences uh, right in front of us. And we're learning how to put some um, tools, some robotics in place in store with associate interaction that do some of the things that they don't, they don't enjoy doing. We have a shelf scanner that goes up and down the aisles to make sure the items are in the right place and that they're priced well. And we've got a, uh, what we call a fast unloader in the back that's got computer vision, um, and it can sort merchandise to say that goes straight to the floor, this needs to be held back for Christmas, those kinds of things. And so learning how to put digital applications, applications on devices and hardware in place to help make the whole supply chain work in an optimized way, um, reduce carbon, sell products that are more sustainable in, in nature, have a bigger, bigger impact on packaging because of the way we're now delivering goods to the customer. There are just so many things we can tweak on the, in this system to make it work. And the leadership of the company really is just like a bunch of system designers. Like if we change this, what happens over here? If we change that, what happens over here? And if you've been in retail as long as most of us have, you can kind of see the system, and, and it's fun to try different things to see what works. Well, you're trying a lot of things. Um, let's uh, open this up for some questions from the audience. I've got another question or two myself, but if anybody has a question in the audience, go ahead and raise your hand. You get a chance to ask Doug something, too. Hi, Kyle Cherick with Solar.com. We're a marketplace that helps homeowners easily get uh, bids for solar and energy storage. <clears throat> Doug, first, I just want to say thank you for being such a leader on sustainability. Uh, Walmart has been out front uh, adding solar to tons of stores, and uh, that whole uh, you know industry is, continues to evolve, and um, you know energy evolves. But I'm just curious, how, how do you view the next set of big opportunities to lead retailers in in sustainability leadership? Mm. Yeah, good question. Back to this kind of system design. If you, if you believe that companies can create shared value, which relates to the BRT statement on what a corporation is. Um, Doug's going to be the leader of the BRT starting in January, by the way. 
you get the chance to say, I can change this in the system of supply and have a bigger, bigger impact on the world without charging our customers more. Let's lean into that technology and, and make it happen. Holistically, we still see areas, biodiversity would be one of them, where we have not stepped out and provided some leadership. And you know, we start with what's close to the core. So when, when we went through this mindset change around the time of Katrina, when Lee Scott was our CEO, it led us to being supplied by renewable energy, selling more sustainable products and more sustainable packaging, um, eliminating waste. And so we've been on a march since then to tackle all of those things. And then over time, we just kind of bolted on Project Gigaton to eliminate carbon out of the system. And we've had thousands of suppliers join us and make commitments to get carbon out. And we celebrate them and recognize them and, and try to incent that kind of behavior. So I think what will happen is we've got to go deeper on some of those things to make a bigger difference because we need to, business holistically needs to, and then broaden a little bit where we don't get too far away from the core to expand the mandate to make a bigger difference. And we're working through some of those things now. Okay. Other questions from the audience? Uh, thanks, Doug. I'm Anand. I've worked 23 years in retail. I've partnered with Walmart uh, for more than seven years, both in Bentonville. Here in Sunnyvale, I built the Mexico systems, maintained the systems in UK, Chile, and so on and so forth. So very proud of what Walmart has accomplished. One of the questions I've been brainstorming to myself is, is there a brand dissonance between what the stores stand for, the demographics, who do you target, to what the e-commerce and the digital system stand for? Mm, great question. And how do you, how do you, you know, tally them? Yeah, a little bit. There's a little bit of a difference there, and it's a, a really good question. We see a continuum of customers, and um, I don't know what your perceptions are of Walmart customers in the U.S., but whatever they are, the reality is it's America. We, we have all kinds of income levels, all kinds of people. We have a 160 million transactions a week in Walmart U.S., so we've got everybody. Some people are buying Tide and Coca-Cola. Some people are buying everything, sweaters, bikes, all of that. There's a little bit of nuance between the customer targets, and the stores are really focused on a family we call the bakers, and they're, they're budget-sensitive primarily but need to save time, too. They're time-stressed, but the financial aspects of their family cause them to prior, prioritize that a little bit. And on the e-commerce side, the family's called the Garcias, and the Garcias are really focused a little bit more on time. They still care about money. We all care about money, time, convenience. It's, it is a continuum. It's not that binary. Um, but when we think about e-commerce, we think about saving them time. And the magic that, that we're really trying to create is how we bring those all together in a seamless way so that you get one Walmart brand experience. And it's as easy to bring back a return that you bought on the marketplace to a store as any other way, and it's just super easy and all connected up digitally. That's hard to do um, for lots of reasons that we could talk about, but that's the goal. I have time for one more quick question. Right over here. Hey, Doug. Uh, my name is Omkar. I'm Chief Innovation Officer at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. I'm eager to hear about what you're thinking about healthcare. I know your Walmart's diving in a little bit into healthcare. I'd love to learn more about your vision. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, we've got one of the larger pharmacies in the country, a developed optical business, a little bit of, of hearing. Um, but we see an opportunity to create care within the stores. And so we've just opened a clinic um, in Dallas, Georgia. It's our very first one. I was there a few weeks ago. It's about 8,000 square feet on the front of a super center. It says Walmart Health on it. So if you were parking in the parking lot, you can see a grocery entrance, you can see the home and general merchandise entrance, or you can see a Walmart Health entrance. When you walk in, you see healthcare professionals. Um, we have a, a doctor there, his name's Dr. Meta. We have other care providers who will help you with x-rays, blood work, 
um, mental health. We've got a, a dentistry service there with multiple dental chairs, and they were all full when I was there. Um, we are seeing a really strong reaction to it. Um, we're opening our second unit also in Georgia shortly. They're, you know, early days, but we're excited about what's happening so far, and we could imagine a day in the future where a lot of Walmart stores have a care capability at a price where you can get access. And we're finding not only cash payers, but also people with high deductibles or copays that are looking at our price points and saying, it's just better for me to just come pay you in cash and then get a full service experience. And the, the doctor and, and other healthcare professionals that work there are liking it for a few reasons. They like the way the incentives are designed. They didn't like some of the incentives they were working with in their previous roles. And they love teaming up. So I heard several examples of where the dentist may be seeing someone and they raise an issue and they can run them over and let them see one of the other professionals and kind of knock out problems all on one trip at an affordable price. So it looks promising, um, lots to learn, but I'm excited about the future of it. Uh, Doug, about a year ago, it was just under a year ago, you showed me something that you keep with you at all times. It's a list of retailers, the top retailers over the decades that goes back how far? Over 100 years? Oh, close to it, yeah, about 100 years. You still keep that? Uh-huh. Why don't you tell people what that is and why you keep it? Sure. Um, you know, I knew when I started thinking about retail as a career uh, what retail history looked like a little bit, but we had historians in the company. Uh, David Glass, Don Sotoquist, and some of the people that I've followed talked about the lessons of retail all the time. And as I mentioned a minute ago, retailers come and go. I mean, you, you could name if we, you know, we could have a fun game this afternoon if you were into that, just naming all the retailers that no longer exist. Or the ones you think might not exist that you can think of right now that in five years' time you won't find anywhere, either online or in stores. And it's really simple. If you're not meeting the wants and needs of the customers, you're done. There's not a lot of loyalty here. This is a transactional relationship to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, we hope to make it more than that, but it's, it's transactional to, you know, to a large extent. So I keep that just to remind us all not to not – <laughs> Walmart is not arrogant. Like, we could go away at any minute, and I think most of us feel that way and act that way every day, and that's a reminder to say if you don't change, if you're not open, if you're not willing to learn, if you're not willing to fail, and we're failing at some things, um, you're going to go away. And that's probably true in, in all businesses, but in retail it's pretty pronounced. Change or die, that is uh, kind of the motto for this Evolve conference. But, Doug, we really want to thank you for kicking this off thanks, for us. Thanks for having point. me. Thank, thank you all. That was Walmart CEO Doug McMillan, interviewed by Becky Quick and recorded live at CNBC's Evolve Conference in Los Angeles. I'm Karen Stern, a producer on the CNBC events team, and I'm joined in studio by Becky Quick. Hey, Becky. Hey, Karen. So, Becky, my big takeaway from this conversation was Walmart stores aren't going anywhere. Kind of surprising given how much we talk about e-tailers like Amazon putting traditional brick and mortar out of business. You know, what's amazing is that Amazon now looks like it's copying Walmart in some ways, admitting that, okay, we need some bricks and mortar stores too. We thought Amazon had it all, knew it all. But they've now realized, and the admission of this is the Whole Foods acquisition, that, yeah, we need some bricks-and-mortar stores, too. Uh, They have realized that it goes hand-in-hand, and Doug figured this out a while ago, um, that when you bring people into the stores, maybe if if it's even just to pick up what they've ordered online, if they stop by the store to pick it up, they are likely to buy something else when they're there. If you can get them in the door, you will get them to spend more money. And that's a great secret. Not only that, if you can get them to come to the store to pick up the stuff, 
stuff they've ordered online on their way home from work, if it's ready to go for them, it cuts the num- the amount of, of profit that you lose by trying to ship it to them because it's that last mile to the house that is so expensive. Now, Walmart's got its own initiatives. It's going to go into your house and put it in your refrigerator if you want them to, if you let them, if you let them creep around in your house. That, it's still a little creepy. It may be here. Doug's been prescient on a lot of things, so maybe he's prescient on this front too. The people who he's, you know, who've tried it, love it. I'm just not there yet. Yeah, I'm with you there, but we'll see if Doug is able to change our minds. Becky, thanks so much for joining me here today, and thanks for the great interview with Doug in Los Angeles. Thank you, Karen. The Keynote is produced by the CNBC Events team. For more information about CNBC Events, including how you can join us in person, visit CNBCEvents.com. Thanks for listening. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.